You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Well, good morning, Harvest. It's great to be here with you this morning. You excited to be at church? Yeah. Amen, amen, me too. Well, if you've got your Bibles there, please go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll be starting at verse 3. Now, there are times in life when having good scale is very important. Good scale. And I'm not talking about a good scale. I don't mean like a good bathroom scale, you know what I'm saying? Like we, that's good sometimes, but, but I mean good scale. And what is scale? Well, this is what scale means. Scale is the ability to tell the difference between what is truly big and what is truly small. That is good scale. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is going to show us this morning what it looks like to have good scale or to have biblical scale. But before we go there, let's have a look at some people that did not have good scale from the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, we find Jesus, and he's speaking to these religious leaders and, and the text tells us that in some form or another, they actually believe that he is the Messiah. And so, I mean, that is a huge deal. He's right here. This is the one who's been prophesied about. This is the one who has come to save us. And in some way, they believed. But there was something that prevented them from confessing him. What was it? They had a scale problem. They couldn't tell the difference between what was truly big and what was truly small. Because they saw man as huge and God as small. This is what it says. It says, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. It goes on to say that they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So these leaders, they feared the Pharisees more than they feared God. And they loved the praise that comes from man more than the praise that comes from God because they had a scale problem. They saw the Pharisees as huge and awesome and glorious and therefore they saw God as small. And so here's the question for us this morning. Do we have a scale problem? Do I have a scale problem? Do you have a scale problem? Do we see God rightly? Do we see man rightly? Or is it the case, as it so often is in my life, that God has become way too small and man has become way too big? Do we have a scale problem? Well, let's have a look. Let's find out. And we'll start with these three verses up on the screen. Here's the first one. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 14. Psalm 103, verse 14 says this. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are, what does it say? Dust. Dust. We are so small in the grand scheme of things that we are like dust. So uh, if you brought your Bible here this morning, maybe you could just kind of stick your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Hold your Bible up if you've got your Bible. Hold it up. Hold it up. Let's see. We've got lots of Bibles. Praise the Lord. Okay, now maybe kind of hold it out in front of your face like this and do one of these. 
Is there any dust? Oh, I hope not. I hope not. But that's what we are. In the grand scheme of things, we are like dust. Or how else are we described? Have a look at James 4.14. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. In the grand scheme of things, we are so small, we are like a vapor. Or how about Isaiah chapter 40? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? The Lord has. The Lord, he he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand and he measures the universe with a span. What's a span? Well, this is a span. Everyone do this. This is a span. It's the difference. It's the distance between your thumb and your pinky finger. That's a span. This is how the Lord measures the universe with a span. So let's kind of put this together and get a biblical scale. So, So we are so small, we are like dust, and the Lord, he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. Do we see the difference in size? We are like a vapor. We're like a mist. But the Lord measures the universe with a span. Is our scale getting more biblical? I hope so. I hope so. In this moment, in this moment, consider the insanity of thinking about man as big and God as small. Nothing could be further from the truth, but this is what we do. This is what I do. Why? Because when you put something small up in front of your face, it blocks your view of something much, much bigger. Consider for a moment the moon. The moon is so small compared to the sun. In fact, 26 million moons could fit into the sun. 26 million And yet, when the moon is just in the right spot in the sky, it can completely block the sun out. It can totally eclipse the sun. And what happens when the moon eclipses the sun? It gets dark. It gets dark fast. And that's exactly what happens in our lives. When man is lifted up and God is eclipsed, it gets dark and we live in darkness. And that's why it's so desperately important that all of us here this morning have a biblical scale of God and man, each and every one of us. Because if we don't, if we don't, then God will be eclipsed by man in our lives and we will live in darkness. And we need to see light, amen? We need to see light. And that leads us right into our first point. You can jot this down. When my scale of God and man is biblical, I will not fear man. When my scale of God and man is biblical, I will not fear man. Now have a look in your Bibles at verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says this. He says, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Now, why on earth would Paul say this to the Corinthians? Kind of sounds like he's, he's on his heels a little bit. Sounds kind of he's, like he's a little bit defensive. What's up, Paul? Well, let's get some context. You see, Paul is on a missionary journey. 
He's going from place to place, and he's preaching the gospel and planting churches. And one of the places that he goes is the city of Corinth. And Corinth is a terrible, terrible place. It's filled with sin, filled with idolatry. It's an awful place. And Paul goes there, and he begins to preach the gospel. And people start to respond, and people start to get saved. And then the Lord says, stay there for a year and a half. And so he does, and he plants a church before he begins to move on to the next place, which is Ephesus. And as Paul is moving on from Corinth to Ephesus, the Lord raises up another man, Apollos, to preach in Corinth. And as as Apollos is preaching in Corinth, this division starts to take place in the church, where you've got this one group, and they're like, we like the old pastor better. We follow Paul. We like Paul. We're out on Apollos. And then you have the second group, and they're like, we follow Apollos, and we're out on Paul. We, we, We like the new pastor better, and this division started to take place because some people were out on Apollos and others were judging Paul as a pretty ineffective pastor and spiritual leader. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians and he addresses their judgments of him head on. Look again now at verse three. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Paul is saying to the Corinthians that their judgment of him is a very, very small thing. He's like, Corinthians, no offense, no offense, but but your judgment of me is is a very, very small thing. Now, why why isn't it a big thing? Why is it a small thing to Paul? Well, here's why. Because it is from man and not from God. It is from man and not from God's word. And and so Paul has a biblical scale of God and man. He sees God as huge and awesome and glorious and sovereign and all-powerful. He's the creator. And therefore, he sees man as small, the, the judgments of man as small. So he says, this is a small thing. This is a small thing because he is not enslaved to what people think of him. He is only concerned about what God thinks of him. And I wonder, can we say the same thing this morning? Can we say that the judgments of man are a very small thing to us? The last time you were criticized, the last time you were rejected, the last time you were judged, is that what you said? Can we honestly say that we are so rooted in who God is, that he is so awesome and glorious to us, that therefore the judgments of man are such a small thing? Or truth be told, has man become too big in our lives? Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not really sure if that happens in my life or not. Well, let's, let's hear what Ed Welch has to say about this up on the screen. Here's a quote from Ed Welch. Love this. He says, the fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it. And so are are you here this morning with a pulse? Do you have a pulse? I have a pulse. Therefore, I struggle with this, and you struggle with this too to some degree. But how do I know? How do I know when this is happening in my life, like right now? How do I know? Well, here's how I can know. Here's one way. If I find myself striving after the bar of man's approval, and when I get it, it feels so good, it is like life. And then if I don't get it, and if I get rejected, then I feel so bad. 
then I know for sure that man has become too big in my life when I'm striving after the bar of man's approval. So where is the bar of man's approval exactly? I mean, if we all kind of struggle with going after the bar of man's approval, where exactly is it so we can find it? And here's the thing. Every single person has a different bar. Every single person has a different bar. So if you want to get someone's praise and approval, you have to find out what they like and respect and admire and then do a whole lot of that in front of them, right? You have to find out what each person likes and respects and admires and then do a whole lot of that in front of them. But here's the difficulty is that what they like and respect and admire can change from day to day. And so what got you their praise yesterday might not work tomorrow. Here's another complication, that what people like and admire and respect differs from place to place. And so the bar of approval at your job, what people like and respect and admire at your job, will be different than at a high school. And the bar of approval at a high school will be different than at a university. It'll be different at a university than among church friends. And it'll be different in Canada than it is in another culture. And it'll be different in 2015 than it is in 1910. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Pursuing the approval of men, it is so exhausting. And, and, and the bar just seems so high, doesn't it? It seems so elusive and so high. But here's what we need to see. Here's what we need to see this morning. And we can throw that first chart up on the screen. As high and as elusive as the bar of man's approval is, we have to see this right now. It is so low. It is so low when compared to the bar of God's approval. Because the the bar of the approval of man is all about outward appearances. While the bar of God's approval is about righteousness. That means moral perfection. It means being perfect in the sight of God. If we want to be approved by God, we need to be righteous. And anything that is below God's bar is sin. Anything that is below God's bar is unrighteous. Anything that is below God's bar will incur God's wrath. We can throw that up on the screen. So consider this. It matters not if we are above man's bar or not. If we are below God's bar, then his wrath is upon us. And so is there, is there any way, is there any way that a sinful human being like me could somehow be made righteous in the sight of God? Because the Bible is clear. All of us, all of us have fallen short of God's bar. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is righteous, no, not one. And so is there any possible way that a sinful human being could be somehow raised up above God's bar and made righteous? And praise the Lord, there's one way. There's one way. There is not two. There is not three. There is not five, there is not ten. There is one way, and listen, his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. There is one way, it is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one way, it is called the great exchange. And what is the great exchange? The great exchange is this. 
It's a legal transfer that takes place the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. It's a legal transfer that takes place the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, the moment you really believe he is the son of God and he he really did come from heaven to earth to take away sin and he really did die on a cross setting me free. The moment we truly believe this is the moment that the great exchange takes place for you. And here's the first half of the great exchange. It's our sin being legally transferred from us to Jesus Christ on the cross. Our sin, all of our sin, our past sin, all of it, our present sin, and all of our future sin, all of it, legally transferred from us to Jesus Christ on the cross, and the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin poured out upon him in full so that we might be made clean in the sight of God. Praise the Lord. And if you are here, you are here this morning, and you have genuinely placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and know this, you are clean in the sight of God because he has washed you with the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sin has been forgiven. Receive that this morning. But it's not enough to be clean. We must be righteous, which means we have to have a record of perfect obedience. And this is the second part of the great exchange. It's Jesus' righteousness being credited to our account as though we had done it. Jesus' righteousness, what's that? Well, it's it's his perfect keeping of the Ten Commandments. It's his perfect loving God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength every single second of his life. It's his perfect loving of his neighbor as himself every single second of his life. All of that obedience credited to your account as though you did it. And so the moment you genuinely place your faith in Jesus Christ, all of your sin transferred to Jesus on the cross, his righteousness credited to your account as though you did it. So if you are here this morning in Jesus Christ, listen, God has raised you up above his bar and declared you to be righteous in his sight. How awesome is that? That is your legal identity in Jesus Christ. But if you are here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then listen, listen, I want to speak directly to you. Then you are still below God's bar. You are still in your sin. God still sees you as unrighteous. And his wrath is upon you even right now in your chair. But you have just heard the one way of salvation. And if you will repent, that means if you will turn from your lifestyle and grab hold of Jesus Christ for salvation, then you will be saved this morning. And you will be made righteous in the sight of God. And right now he's extending his mercy and his grace to you if you would but believe. Oh, that you would believe. And if you are here and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then I want you to consider this. Because God has made you righteous in his sight, we can now live under the bar of man. We can now live under the bar of man. Uh, Man's bar is up here. We can live under it. We can make our home there. It's okay if people say you are a failure. It's okay if people say you are nothing. 
It's okay if people say you are less than. It's okay if you don't meet their standards. It's okay. We can live in that place. It's all right. Because the one who measures the universe with a span has declared you to be righteous in his sight, and his bar is infinitely higher than the bar of man. Praise the Lord. And when we truly understand this, then we will see the utter futility of living our lives for the approval of man. So let me ask you, what do you think your life would look like if you were so rooted in who God is and what God has done and who you are in him that you were no longer concerned about what other people thought of you, but you were only concerned about what God thought of you? Let's think through that. Honestly and genuinely, think through that. What kind of freedom would you experience in your life? What kind of freedom would I experience in my life if we were so rooted in who God is and what he has done and who we are in him that we were no longer concerned about what people thought of us but only what God thought of us? What would change in your life? What would our lives look like? Well, here's what they would look like. They would look like love. They would look like love being poured out from us to our neighbor, and here's why. Here's why. Because we cannot truly love people if we fear them. We can't. It's impossible. And we cannot truly love people if we are seeking after their praise. We can't. It's impossible. But when we have a a biblical scale of God and man and we see God rightly that he is awesome and high and exalted and glorious and sovereign and man starts to become smaller and smaller and smaller, then the wall of the fear of man begins to crumble and the wall of seeking after the praise of man begins to crumble, liberating love in our lives toward our neighbor in the form of service and pointing them to Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, let me ask you, in light of who God is and what he has done and who you are in him, who in your life do you need to stop fearing and start loving? In light of who God is and what he has done and who you are in him, who in your life do you need to stop seeking the praise of and start loving in Jesus' name? Because when my scale of God and man is biblical, I will not fear man. And now consider this as well. Because there's someone else's opinion we don't need to be concerned about either. Praise the Lord for that. This leads us to our second point. You can jot this down. When my scale of God and man is biblical, I will not judge myself. When my scale of God and man is biblical, I will not judge myself. Look back again at verse 3. Paul says, but with me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. Now, look what he says next. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. He says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. So Paul's saying, I'm not aware of any major sin issue that would disqualify me from ministry, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. 
That doesn't mean I'm not guilty. Paul's like, I can't see the inner workings of my heart. I can't see the full story. I'm not God. And so in humility, he says, I do not judge myself. He says, I am not the judge. God is. Because Paul has a biblical scale of God and man. But what happens when we don't have a biblical scale of God and man? What happens when our scale is messed up? Well, in the same way that man can be lifted up to eclipse God in our lives, we can also lift ourselves up to eclipse God in our lives. We lift up the mirror, so to speak. We begin to stare into the mirror, and this is only going to go one of two ways. Either I will stare into the mirror and I will say, I am awesome, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's not great, okay? That's not great. Or uh, this will happen, I will stare into the mirror and I will say, you are such a loser, I hate you. And that's not great either. Because in both of these cases, I'm staring into the mirror and I am getting big and God is getting small because this is what pride does. Pride gazes at self. Not unlike this guy up on the screen. Now this is uh, Narcissus. Narcissus is a figure from Greek mythology. And um, Narcissus um, is where we get the word narcissist from. And narcissist means to be self-focused, means self-obsessed. And so here's the story of Narcissus. He had an enemy, and he has, his enemy has like the best enemy name ever, okay? Anyone know what it is? It's Nemesis. Nemesis, that was his enemy's name, and, and Nemesis wanted to take Narcissus out, and so he came up with this plan, and, and here's the plan. If I can just get him to go into the woods, then he'll come across this pool of water, and then when he sees the pool of water, he'll be done, and the plan worked. And so Narcissus goes into the woods. He comes across the pool of water. He looks into the pool of water and he sees himself. And he cannot draw himself away from staring at himself. He's just staring at himself and he just can't stop staring at himself. And then eventually what happens is he stares at himself for so long that he falls into the pool and dies. Because that's what pride does. If we are lifting up the mirror and we are gazing at ourselves, whether we're saying, I hate you or I love you, we are eclipsing God. He is becoming small. We are becoming big. And when God becomes small and we become big, we become our own God. And we exalt our own judgments over God's judgments because we've completely lost sight of who he is. We've lost sight that he is the sovereign creator of the universe who right now is holding together the molecules of our body and causing us to function in our chairs. So how do I know when this is happening in my life? How do I know when I'm gazing into the mirror? Well, here's one way. Here's one way. When I find myself striving after my own approval of myself, then I know I have become way too big in my own eyes. When I'm striving after getting my own approval of myself, whether it's my appearance or my performance, when I've kind of set my own bar and when I kind of reach the, over the bar and I approve of myself and I feel great, it's like life. And then if I fall short and I reject myself, then I feel like I'm going to die. Then I know for sure that I have become way too big in my own eyes. So what's the answer? 
But the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, let me ask you, what would your life look like if you were so rooted in who God is and what he has done and who you are in him that you were no longer concerned about what you think of you, but only what God thinks of you? Wow. What would that be like? What kind of freedom would that bring into your life and into mine? If we were so rooted in who God is and what he has done and who we are in him that we are no longer concerned about what we think of us, we were only concerned about what God thinks of us, what would our lives look like? Well, again, here's what our lives would look like. Our lives would look like love. Love poured out from us to others. Because listen, we cannot truly love people when we are focused on ourselves. I cannot truly love anyone if I'm staring in the mirror. It's impossible. But when our scale of God and man becomes biblical and he, he is awesome and, and glorious and sovereign, he's the creator, he is eternal. When we see him for who he is and we see ourselves as so small and the wall of self-focus comes crumbling down, enabling us, enabling us, liberating us to love others in our lives by serving them and by pointing them to Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, let me ask you, in light of who God is and what he has done and who you are in him, what part of you or your life do you need to stop staring at this morning? Because of who God is and what he has done and who you are in him, what part of you or your life do you need to stop staring at this morning so that we can get about the business of loving people for the glory of Jesus Christ? Because when my scale of God and man is biblical, I will not judge myself. And I will see this. I will see that there is only one judgment that truly matters and that leads us to our final point. You can jot this down. Point number three. When my scale of God and man is biblical, I will fear the Lord. Amen? When my scale of God and man is biblical, I will fear the Lord. Look again at verse 4. Verse 4. Paul says, I'm not aware of anything against myself. I'm not thereby acquitted. And then he says this. It's the Lord who judges me. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. In verse 4, Paul says, it's the Lord who judges me. And this is the, the, the heart of this text. This is the foundation for everything else Paul has just said. He says, it's the Lord who judges him. The reason he can say that it's a small thing that, that other people judge him is because it's the Lord who judges him. The reason why he can say that he does not judge himself is because it's the Lord who judges him. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Who is this Lord in the eyes of Paul? Who is this Lord? Well, let's have a look at Isaiah chapter 6 for a description of who the Lord is. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah says this, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, so it was a very famous year, I saw the Lord 
So Isaiah's having a vision. He's being giving a vision of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, see if you can place yourself there. Imagine a throne that is so high, and it is awesome. And over the back of this throne is a robe, and it goes all the way to the floor and covers the whole floor and fills everywhere in the temple. This is a sign of his majesty, his power, his authority. And above him stood the seraphim. Seraphim are terrifying angels. Absolutely terrifying. I guarantee this, that if you or I to see a seraphim right now, we would freak out completely. Seraphim are terrifying. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, and that calling, calling back and forth is like a screaming. They're screaming back and forth. And what are they screaming back and forth? Holy, 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 back and forth. Holy, holy, holy. In other words, perfect, perfect, perfect is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. As they're screaming back and forth, the whole temple starts to shake and is filled with smoke. And Isaiah becomes unglued. And this is what he says. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the Lord that Paul is talking about. When he says, it's the Lord who judges me. This is the Lord. It's the one who is high and exalted on the throne. And who is this Lord? Well, he's none other than Jesus Christ. Awesome and exalted and high and glorious. Who, listen, who, listen, humbles himself to take on flesh and be crucified. The same Lord who is on the throne is the Lord who is on the cross. God crucified. Who can conceive of it? Who can understand this? Why would he do this? Why? Well, here's why. Because he has chosen to set his perfect love upon us. He has chosen to set his perfect love upon you. And because he has chosen to set his perfect love upon you, he is compelled by that love to give you what is perfect, namely himself. And so to give you himself, he must make you righteous so that you can enter into his presence. And so the cross of Jesus Christ, he loves you so much. He loves you so much. He loves you perfectly with a perfect love, and he proved it at the cross. And in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord who judges Paul and loves Paul and died for Paul, Paul says in verse 5, have a look at verse 5. He says, therefore, because the Lord is the one who judges me, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. So there is a right time for judgment. There's a right time. It's coming soon. A right time for judgment. When is that? Look at verse 5. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, notice, before the Lord comes. Jesus Christ is the Lord, and he is coming soon. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus Christ is the Lord, and he is coming soon. And what will happen? Look again at verse 5. 
Do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. When Jesus Christ returns, everything will be exposed. Everything. If there are things in this room that are hidden in darkness, know this. When Jesus Christ returns, everything will be brought out into the light. Everything, including the hidden motives of our hearts. And what happens after that? Look again at verse 5. Then each one, then, then each one, that's us, will receive his commendation or reward from God. So for those of us in Jesus Christ, remember all of our sin was legally transferred to Jesus on the cross. He paid for it all. All the wrath we deserve was poured out upon Jesus in full. And right now we are not receiving the wrath we deserve. There's another second and another one and another one that has just gone by where we are not receiving what we deserve and we will never receive what we deserve because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is no more condemnation for us. Praise the Lord. But equally as true, equally as true is that for each one of us in Jesus Christ, there is a date set. There is a time set. There is an appointment made for each and every one of us, where we will stand before the Lord and he will judge and evaluate our works and he will reward us accordingly. And remember, this has nothing to do with salvation. This is for those who are already saved. Each one of us has an appointment in Jesus Christ, a time, a day where we will stand before him and he will reward us accordingly, according to what we have done. He will evaluate our works and reward us accordingly. And if we have a biblical scale of God and man, if we see him as awesome and we see him as sovereign and we see him as glorious, then we will fear him. And we will take him seriously. And if we believe we have an appointment with him, then our lives will prove that we believe that. Because when we take something or someone seriously, our lives always prove it. Our lives are proof. I had two grandparents that uh, were in London, England, during World War II. My grandmother was a teenager. She lived just outside of London. And my grandfather was in the Canadian Navy. He was a teenager as well. And he often had shore leave in London. And my grandmother used to tell the story all the time of the German buzz bombs. Anybody ever heard of that before, a buzz bomb? Okay. So, so a buzz bomb is, is really a German V-1 rocket. And the Germans launched thousands of these into England during World War II. And my grandmother used to tell these stories that it was absolutely terrifying when one of these rockets came flying overhead because they were so loud. They were like two or three bombers all at once, and the sound just echoed across the countryside. And when you heard one coming, you would run for your life. You would run down to your basement and hide and hope and pray that it would keep going because what would happen is that eventually it would run out of fuel and just drop. So imagine living in a place where this is going on continually. Terrifying. So when my grandmother heard the sound of a buzz bomb, she took it seriously. 
My grandfather, on the other hand, did not take it seriously. And he always tells a story about being in uh, London on shore leave and being in this pub and this buzz bomb came over and everyone in the pub ran for their lives. The whole place cleared out like that because they took the sound seriously. He did not take the sound seriously. Him and his friend, instead, they looked at each other and they started to laugh at the cowardice of the people around them. They just figured it would keep going. They didn't take the sound seriously until the engines cut out directly overhead. And they looked at each other, and they knew what was about to happen, and they both dove underneath the same table just as the bomb hit right beside the pub and completely leveled the place. Now, miraculously, they survived. They were injured, but they survived. But the difference, the difference when we truly take someone or something seriously, our lives always prove it. My grandmother took the sound seriously. My grandfather did not. Their lives proved it. And listen. There are many of us here this morning, myself included, and we have not been taking the Lord as seriously as we should because he has been way too small in our eyes and our lives show it. Our lives prove it. Our lives are living proof that we do not fear the Lord as we should. Let's have a look at this uh, kind of definition of the fear of the Lord from Tim Keller. This is what he says. He says, to fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that because of his bright holiness and magnificent love, you find him fearfully beautiful. I love that. That is why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and has done for us. And this is key. Only out of the fear of the Lord Jesus will we be liberated to serve one another. So what does that look like? What does that look like in our lives to be liberated by the fear of the Lord Jesus to serve one another? What does it look like? Well, it looks like love. It looks like love to serve one another and to point one another to Jesus Christ because the genuine fear of the Lord and the genuine love of the Lord will always produce love of neighbor in our lives. Always. A genuine fear of the Lord and a genuine love for the Lord will always, always, always produce the love of neighbor in our lives. And so ask yourself then, do I need to grow in the fear of the Lord? Do I need to grow in the fear of the Lord? And if you're, if you're in a place like I am, you're saying, yes, I do. I desperately need to grow in the fear of the Lord. I must grow in the fear of the Lord. What should I do? What should I do? How can I grow in the fear of the Lord? Now, here's what we must do. We must constantly remind ourselves who God is, what God has done, and who we are in him. If we want to grow in the fear of the Lord, we must be constantly reminded who God is and what he has done and who we are in him. And one of the best ways we can be reminded of these things is to look through the telescope of the Bible. Because when we put the Bible up in front of us, we look through the telescope of the Bible, we see God. We see God for who he is, that he is awesome. And only when we see God rightly will we see man rightly. And only when we see God rightly will we see ourselves rightly. 
Only the Bible, the telescope of the Bible, the word of God can fix our scale problem. Are we in it? Are we holding up the word of God in front of our face? Are we memorizing it? Are we meditating on it? Are we looking through the telescope of the Bible? Because when we see the one who measures the universe with a span, when we see the one on the throne, high and exalted, when we see the one who humbled himself to the cross, then we will not fear man. And we will not judge ourselves because we will fear the Lord, and our lives will prove it. Our lives will prove it, because the fear of the Lord will crumble the wall of the fear of man. And the fear of the Lord will crumble the wall of seeking after the praise of man. And and the fear of the Lord will crumble self-focus in our lives, increasingly so liberating us to love others, to serve them, and to point them to Jesus Christ. So loved ones, we must keep our eyes on the Lord. We must keep our eyes on who God is and what he has done and who we are in him. Let's pray. And so Father, we thank you, God, that you genuinely desire to see freedom in our lives, freedom from the fear of man, God, freedom from seeking after the praise of man, freedom from judging ourselves, and God, you want to do that through the fear of you, through the love of you, through the worship of you. God, you are holy, holy, holy. You are perfect, perfect, perfect in every conceivable way. You are the highest. You are the greatest. You are the Lord of all. And so, God, would you, would you do an awesome work in us? Would you lift our eyes up off of man, off of ourselves to you? And would you radically and totally transform us? Would you transform our hearts? Would you rule over what we love and what we like and what we do and what we plan? Would you, would you change us that we live our lives for your glory and the worship of you? And God, we pray right now, right now, that this would be a moment of genuine worship as we sing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.